Bray Montgomery. Like to welcome you to the Navigating Blindness Podcast. And on today's show, we're going to talk about guide dogs and how they're using their benefits uh, to people who are blind or visually impaired. And I have several employees here who have a lot of experience using guide dogs, and I just want to really talk to them about why they decided to actually get a guide dog and how the guide dog is um, beneficial in helping them get around in their everyday lives. So I'm going to start with you, Brian. How are you doing today? Doing fine, doing fine. Thanks, Ray. All right, Brian, and what's your title here at uh, Bosman Enterprises? I am Bosman's uh, Senior Manager of Industries. I've been here for 11 years. All right, and you have a guide dog, correct? I do. His name is Jetson. He is a, an eight-year-old yellow lab, and he is my second dog. Okay. And Micah? Yes. Your, your title? Oh, sure. Um, I'm Micah Ball, and I am the Youth Employment Specialist here at Bosma Enterprises. Um, that means I work with students in the school year and also with our STEP program. Um, I've been here for a little under a year, and I also have a guide dog. Uh, her name is Dottie, and she's a German Shepherd. Uh, she's five, and she's my second dog. And Miss Katrina? Yes, I am the communication instructor at the Rehabilitation Center, and I started that job, I'm just going to say, back in um, 92. So uh, there's been some transitions from state employment over to this, uh, yeah. And you used to actually use a guide dog frequently, correct? Yes, I had two um, dog guides. Um, both had passed away. My last dog, Sally, passed away in 2012. And I had already made the decision uh, before she passed away that I would not get another dog uh, for a while based on my lifestyle. I just didn't feel that there was a need. Uh, but there's serious consideration to getting it like in the future yeah okay. after our retirement or something so brian what made you actually uh want to get a guide dog well ray i uh a, a number of different aspects um, went into my decision to getting a, a guide dog the biggest one was just the the independence that the that the dog would allow me to have um, throughout travels uh, even just getting from point to point in a straight line. Uh, that, was, uh, that was a huge, huge factor that, uh, that went into it. There's a lot of um, long discussions with, uh, with my family if this was the, a good decision for, for us, and, and I don't regret it one bit. It's uh, definitely been a, a learning experience. Uh, you know, the dogs definitely, um, they, they don't take care of themselves, so there's a responsibility aspect of it. But uh, the big reason was just from the, the independence uh, side of things and, um, and to be able to freely travel in a more uh, efficient and direct manner. Michael, what about yourself? Um, I think in some ways my answer is probably similar to Brian's, um, except that I am perhaps unique or, or less common in the dog guy field and that I, I'm happy to use my cane as well. Um, and I feel like my dog provides probably an equal travel experience. Uh, sometimes it's more efficient. Um, when I'm using my cane, I tend to find more landmarks or discover more things, whereas the dog sort of bypasses that. Um, and being a person on a mission like I typically am, sometimes that's useful because I can just say, hey, let's go inside or let's go outside. And I don't have to 
spend the time finding all of those things. Um, but when I use my cane, there are instances where um, I'm interested in the environment or the landmarks or what's there. And so my cane is better for uh, discovering those kinds of things because my dog is like, what's the goal and let's get there. Right, right. <laughs> Katrina, what did you get a dog up? So there's kind of two parts. In the beginning, uh, the decision was based on the fact that I had just learned to use a cane. And it was uh, a long story there, hard battle, but I, I came to learn to use the cane. Um, and I had a roommate that used a dog guide. And when we went places, I could get there with my cane, but I couldn't keep up with her and the dog. Mm -hmm. And so I was an athlete in the past and enjoyed walking very fast. And I really missed the freedom of just moving independently and swiftly through space. So that was the main motivating factor then. And then now, why I might get one again, is where I feel that the dog is beneficial and I just absolutely love, is like I said, that movement through space, uh, just s swiftly moving. Like, I don't know, the way I could describe it is when you're riding a bike, you're quickly moving through space freely. And that's the feeling that I want when I'm able to walk. I just, I don't, you know, holding on to somebody or with the cane, you're a lot slower. You have to feel for landmarks. And with the dog, you don't. And after I got Sally, my second dog, we went to a um, uh, Eagle Creek Park and we were walking with some sighted friends and the dog and I were way ahead of them. We didn't need anybody. I was freely moving through nature because of this dog. And that was the greatest feeling. So, so I can't the, get that with the cane. So you think um, one of the benefits over having a cane is you get to move more freely and quickly? That's where my thing is. And then the reason I might also want to get one again is I feel that it is better for me in unfamiliar environments. And I like to travel. So when you travel, you go to unfamiliar places. And sure, could I do it with the cane? Absolutely. I feel like I could do it much more efficiently with the dog. Uh, Mike, I'm going to throw this question to you. Do you feel more safer using a dog guide versus the cane? I think probably 95% of the time, I would say that I feel equally as safe. Um, you know, I tend to, for my job and different things, walk around um, as a single female. So there's always that. Um, possibility of whether I'm safe in that way or not uh, but I feel like in terms of travel and like whether I'm going to find construction sites or cross streets effectively safely you know talking about safety in that way I feel equally as safe um, if I find myself in the nightlife in the middle of downtown and maybe not a great area a German Shepherd is probably a safety tool um, in that deterrent. way yeah it's maybe a deterrent um, though the guide dogs are not trained to be you know attack right. dogs or, or keep their people safe but I like to think that um, the general public doesn't know that and so if somebody uh, nefarious wanted to come talk to me they might think twice if I had a dog <laughs> what about you Brian Do you feel safe or more confident using a dog guy versus the cane I would uh, agree with Micah on the, um, I feel very equal amongst using my, my cane and my dog. Um, for my job, I'm on a production floor a lot of the day, and so I'm using a cane uh, kind of in tight spaces, uh, and, and that is a lot easier to use, and I, I feel like I'm getting a lot more tactile feedback in that form. 
But uh, just in an open space, like what um, Katrina mentioned earlier, there's something to be said about uh, freely being able to walk down a sidewalk or walk on a path or in an airport, just be able to uh, freely and independently navigate uh, using the using the assistance of a of a guide dog. And there's there's nothing more gratifying than just to be able to do that independently and you're moving at a at a fast clip which is which is a lot of fun and you're keeping up with with your colleagues so um you know not not to say that that my cane skills are not uh not very good but um even uh even the best of cane users sometimes uh keeping up um or or avoiding just you know signs and little obstacles that may be in in an open space um, you know that cane's got to got to find that first. Whereas with the uh, the guide dog, they're able to swiftly just kind of navigate you right around right around those barriers. So how long does it actually take to go through the training to obtain a uh, dog guide, Katrina? Me? Well, um, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a month is is that. The correct answer. So it's down to two weeks. For yeah, some I think school. it depends how many dogs you've had. If it's your first dog, uh, and again, it's dependent on the school or the program you go to. If it's your first dog, it's closer to a month, three, three and a half weeks. Uh, but like Brian was saying, uh, once you've had a few dogs, some of the programs are are down to two weeks, just retraining with that dog. And even I know that guide dogs. Uh, when uh, one of our coworkers, James, went, his was a two week program. Personally. I feel that's too fast. Um, I, my first dog, I definitely had four weeks. Um, my second dog, they told me because it was a second dog, I could make it three weeks. And I chose to go for the four weeks because I hadn't, I had not, I had not worked a dog in a good minute because mm -hmm. there's a story there, but there was about maybe four or five years in between dogs. And I felt like I needed that training again, so I went for the full month. So what type of uh, things do they actually teach you while, while in training? Um, again, it's dependent on the school, so I think right. each of us might have a different perspective, but um, the main point of training is really to match you with the dog that works for you. Um, and they do that by looking at how fast you walk, the kind of environment that you are gonna typically be in, your gait, whether it's uneven or how it, how it is. Um, the strength with which you can do a leash correction, all those things are kind of factored in. And then if you have any requests, as in like gender or breed, they try to factor those in as well. Um, but they're, they're really making sure that that match is a good fit for you. And then once they do that, um, if it's your first dog, you're learning commands, you're learning uh, perhaps sometimes how to, how to have a dog. Some folks have never even had a pet, so they're learning, you know, dog quirks. They're learning how to pick up poop. Um, they're learning, you know, how to care for the equipment and how to put, a, put on the harness correctly, those sorts of things. Um, and then as you get later on into the training, you are really working on working with your dog in various environments. So inside, outside, with sidewalks, without, busy streets, um, when there's other dogs around, all the different scenarios that you might uh, interact with in your home life, they really try to expose you to that and help you um, learn how to learn how to make mistakes so that you can then learn how to correct those mistakes and keep yourself and your dog safe and, right. and healthy. 
That's a lot that goes on to uh, planning a guide, though. <laughs> well, that's just the time that you get with a right. the dog. They, they're usually a, about two years old or maybe a little bit older or younger when you get them, so they've had a, a lot going on before that, too. Can I add? Go ahead. Okay, so that's what I was going to say is that the dog has already gone through. Now, I can only speak from my school, and, of course, this isn't current. It's uh, several years old. But the dogs went through at least, I would say, uh, four months, six months maybe of training with the trainer. And so when I get to the school, I'm, I'm getting caught up. I'm learning the things that the dog has learned. And then together we learn to work as a team. So I heard that the guide dogs are already named once you get to the school, is that correct? I think that's yeah. going to be varying on the yes. school too. Yeah. I of, think that's a pretty... Of, yeah, a lot of times just from a, um, a training, you know, because the dog has been in whether in a, a puppy raising home or at this school, uh, you know, those those dogs have already been named to kind of get that, that name uh, consistently, you know, said so they understand how to uh, reply to, to a command. And I think some schools also, too, that's a, uh, a donor opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, to, to name a, name a, a puppy or a, a litter of puppies. And, and some schools have various naming conventions based on the, the, the mom and the dad and, and stuff like that in the, in the litter. But, uh, but yes, they are, in most instances, they are already all named. So I know you guys um, are very experienced dog guy users. Have you guys had any type of uh, discrimination or anything that you face <laughs> having a uh, dog guy when you're trying to travel? Oh, go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Definitely. I, I'm sure we all have a story. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I would say there, um, as awareness is getting out there more and more, those stories are happening less and less frequent. You know, one time is, is one too many. But um, in, in my case, there's only been a couple of times where there has been uh, major, major discrimination. I, I'm very um, fortunate in that the places I've gone, the, the transportation methods that I have um, chosen to use, most everybody has been very, very accommodating. Now I think a part of that too, a big part of that, falls back on the guide dog handler themselves. Uh, it's, it's your responsibility as a guide dog handler to make sure that your dog is, is well-groomed, that its uh, behavior is maintained, that, um, that, that you've got a, a grasp and a handle on, on your dog because, um, hey, you can, you can have an unruly dog and, and be uh, denied access into a place and, and you know, that's, that's because you have a, an unruly or an unkempt dog. The other thing too is being strategic in where you and your guide are going. You know, there are better environments than others for taking a, um, a service animal. And, and yes, could the service animal go to the rock concert? Probably, but is that the, is that the best idea? Probably not. So, so just being strategic and knowing your environment and knowing where you're going, who you're going with, um, can, can make for some um, less chances of discrimination. And also just knowing your rights as well, knowing what uh, you can and cannot do. So just that would help out tremendously. Margaret? Um, yeah, I really like what Brian said about being strategic uh, in where you do and don't bring your dog. I think that that's a, something that we 
overlook a lot um, because yes the dogs are allowed in 99.9% of places but I don't take my dog to 99.9% of places out of respect for her um, honestly Um, but in terms of access issues uh, I had one issue in particular we went to a hotel and this was in Louisville Kentucky I'll not name the hotel Um, but they were discriminatory to the point that we ended up leaving Um, this was with my first dog uh, not not the current one but um, they did not want me there. This I was with my entire family, so it wasn't just like me. Um, but it was, I would say it was very embarrassing, but at that point um, I had been through enough things that it wasn't embarrassing, it was just annoying. Um, because we ended up in this predicament of, I can stay here and I can call the police and I can get what I want, but I probably don't want to give my money to this hotel. Or I can leave and give them what they want um, and go have a more pleasant experience elsewhere. And so it's, Uh, I think that's important to highlight when you talk about access issues because it ends up being a catch-22 for you. Do I want to stay and make my point and then give them my money or do I want to leave because they're being discriminatory? Um, So that's probably the biggest instance that I've had. I've had others as well, but um, something that I think is important to talk about is the ride-sharing issues that are going on right now. Um, I take Uber and Lyft relatively frequently for work uh, and I am denied at this point it's probably once every other month at least um which you know one might think isn't that often but when you're trying to get to an appointment uh especially if it's at a school or with you know important dignitaries or whatever you're doing uh having that delay is really problematic yes so um does having a guide dog actually uh, encourage people to come approach you more do people try to pet your dog and if they do uh what should you tell them i I, I tend to think, yes, that, that the dog does allow for more social interaction. It, it, it humanizes blindness. And, and I know that's, sadly, that's, that's, that's sometimes um, the, the stigma that's out there about blindness. Um, but having a, a dog shows and, and allows for the, the general public to see, oh, this, this is just a, a normal, everyday guy. Right. Now, my strategy as far as... Um, Yes, it does. It does attract a lot of people. My strategy is that if I am, if the dog is working and we are about ready to cross a street or enter into you know a venue or something like that, I ask that that the dog does not get be pet just because his his focus, his job is at that time is to keep me safe, to get me from point to point safely, and having people pet the dog and and such. Uh, that's that's distracting. Now, if I'm in a calm place, you know, hey, I'm waiting on a park bench and and uh, waiting for a ride that's going to be coming in ten minutes, and somebody comes up. Um, if if it's that sort of setting, I will I will remove the the dog's harness because that that tells my dog Jetson that hey, he's not working any longer, and then I'll let I'll let the them um, pet the dog, mm-hmm. and it gives me a chance to kind of advocate for and explain okay this is a guide dog this is what makes a guide dog special and and it's a really good educational thing especially for young children uh that, to really get a get a chance uh, with a with a captive audience to kind of explain what uh, what guide dogs um are all about but um it, the time and the place is is dictates if, if the dog is is going to be pet and i'd say eight times out of ten it's we're we're in on a mission. We're we're going, and and I say, hey, that's now is not a good time to pet the dog. Can I? Add sure. That? Okay. So first of all, he just said that beautifully. Um, there's only just a couple of things that I might add. 
first of all, the humanization part of it is, you know, that that actually is a good part of the distraction. But um, because I'll give you an example. Let's say you're getting ready to walk in a building or walk in an office or whatever you're and somebody is being very kind and opening the door. My experience is with a cane, they hold the door, but they don't speak and even let you know they have the door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if they have, if you have a dog, they'll speak to you, oh, what a beautiful dog. Or, of course, there's always, I have a dog. and blah, blah. So they speak to you. So that can be helpful. Um, the, uh, the thing is always to ask. Um, it's also, the other thing I wanted to add was dependent upon the dog. Some dogs are not as hard to be focused um they can take a petting here or there but some like my uh dogs uh they we had to be very strict on them uh because they were especially the second one she was very very social she loved people and so we had to be pretty strict and if it is a child this is my last thing if it's a child and we're just sitting or even if we're not, if I was walking down the hall and it comes up, I'll stop, pull to the side, and I'll sit the dog down, and then I'll have the dog face away, not look directly at the child, and let the dog get, you know, petting on the back. And then my hand is on their um, back, their shoulders, and I've got a hold of the leash, letting them know, okay, you know, be, be focused here, so. What is the financial aspect of having a guide dog? I know when people will be thinking about getting a guide dog, but what else will they be thinking about once they get a guide dog? Like, I know it's grooming, it's veterinarian. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, at a minimum, food every month. Yes. <laughs> well, definitely. I hope <laughs> well, you're and, the dog. I mean, I say that, you know, but it's, it's not like you, most guide dog handlers, I would say, are pretty um, picky on the kinds of food that they give their dogs. So it's mm-hmm. not just cheap food, it's higher end That's food. That's correct. Um, it's flea and tick preventatives every month. Um, and, and heartworm preventatives or mm-hmm. other intestinal parasites. It's uh, equipment, it's vaccinations every year, it's um, possibly a teeth cleaning, or if you're not gonna pay mm-hmm. for the teeth cleaning, then it's toys if your dog's a chewer that sometimes prevents them from needing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's any medical care that your dog needs. It's definitely, uh, my, my cane does not cost this much. My cane, <laughs> my cane oh, is, no. you know, $40 a year maybe if I, if I break it every year. Right. Um, and, and then I would say too, it's it's the wear and tear. If if you have a personal family vehicle, it's you know hair in your own car. Mm-hmm. It's um, this dog is the slobberiest drinker I've ever met. So it's you know it's, it's wet floors. It's uh, muddy paws. It's um, I can't think of any other things. But there's a lot of yeah. obvious costs, and then there's some some hidden costs. But I will say that um, since dogs are actually considered durable medical equipment, they um, you can write off their expenses on your taxes. Yes. Okay, good Very to know good. That. Good, good to know job. That. Yeah, we're good to know that um, the people thinking. You, the other thing is that's one of the factors that I'm weighing because when I retire, of course, I won't have the income. And so it's part of my decision on whether to get another dog. And... You know, I was thinking, well, I'll need it when I travel. Well, how much money will I have to travel? So it is something to consider. And both of my dogs did get ill. And when they had, you know, they had to have major tests, they had to have treatments. It can get very, very expensive. I would add to that, um, depending on the school, uh, the most of the guide dog schools that are out there throughout the country, 
they all have very similar missions in that they want to get guide dogs in the hands of um, individuals who are blind um, to make them more more independent and so if there is a financial barrier some schools do have some um, some need-based veterinary assistance programs mm -hmm. and some things like that um, there's also uh, you know some some community organizations that um, that that are able to lend a hand um, again need-based um, and then you ask about the the cost of the guide dog a lot of schools and again it, it varies on the school but um, a lot of the schools are independent nonprofits and they're really driven on on grant and, and donations and so uh, most of the schools do not want finances to be a deterrent to getting a guide dog meaning the the overall training your travel to the school your travel home your your follow-up uh, visits by the school and so the the cost to obtain a guide dog um, from the school itself are in many cases free or very 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 negligible um, um, costs because a lot of those are underwritten by by grants donations corporate sponsors and things like that. The last that I heard, they were estimating the cost of training the dog, etc., was between thirty and fifty thousand dollars. Do you guys agree with that? Yep. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. And the other thing I wanted to say about that was that. Oh, like most of the schools will pay for the transportation to and from the training. And of course they cover during the training the food and the transportation, things like that. So there's really very little cost in the initial part of getting mm -hmm. the dog. So like Leader Dog and I believe there's several others, the Guide mm -hmm. Dog of America? There are several others. Now in my last count there was 13 or 14, do y'all know? I agree. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I know that there are are plenty of options and I think it's like anything else and the closest in. to Indianapolis is pilot dog in Columbus Ohio um, so three hours or so drive the next would be leader dog in Rochester Michigan uh, maybe an hour north of Detroit mm -hmm. uh, there's the seeing eye the original in New Morristown New Jersey where'd you get your dog Brian I forget I um both came from Guide Dogs for the Blind. Um, one came from San Rafael, California, and the other came from Portland, Oregon. Where'd you get yours, Monica? She's from the Seeing Eye Seeing in Eye. New Jersey. Um, and just in speaking of cost, uh, the Seeing Eye is one of, if not the only place that actually does charge you for your dog. Um, and your first dog is $150, which doesn't even cover the cost of your, your airplane ticket. Um, but the reason that they do that, and they've always done that ever since they first started back in 1929 was to um, make sure that the person had some buy-in and some personal ownership and that they weren't uh, just giving dogs away for free, uh, that the mm -hmm. person really, and that, that money had to be money that you earned um, or that, that you got somehow on your own. It couldn't be gifted to you from your parents or your family or whatever. Um, so I appreciate that tradition because at this point it's, it's a tradition. It's not a, it's not that, you know, the, it, it's $50 for a successor dog. So it's not that that $50 is actually affecting their program costs, but they still keep it there because it's a um, sort of a an ode to the fact that right. this is getting you independence and dignity, and it's something that um, you need to be invested in yourself. I totally support it. I've always have, and I think that it's good. And I, I equate it to like when kids get college paid for by their parents, they might 
party and not take it as seriously. But if they have to work a job or two on the side to get themselves through college, well, then they're taking college more seriously. More invested into it. Yes. Well, I definitely want to thank you guys for coming on the podcast and talking about dog guys and the benefits. And hopefully someone out there listening will be encouraged to actually go out and uh, get a guide dog. So make them more independent and get them you know, more confidence and back and forth for what they need. So I definitely thank you guys for coming on the podcast and uh, thank you guys for listening and make sure you subscribe and I'll check you guys out next week.